Nonprofit Lowdown. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Rhea Wong. In this podcast, I recommend a book, tool, tip, podcast, or resource that has helped me to build a multi-million dollar nonprofit organization. I've done the research, so you don't have to. Let's get started. Hey, podcast listeners, it's Rhea Wong with you once again with Nonprofit Lowdown. Today, my guest is a little bit different than our typical guests. We usually have folks in the nonprofit field. And actually, today, my guest is my friend, Bill Roden. Bill Roden is a lifetime Marine, actually. And he and I have known each other for, gosh, how long? Many uh, years at this point. Yes, yes, mid-90s, if not longer. If not longer. Both of us are from San Francisco and involved with an organization called Summerbridge. In his career, Bill is a former Marine Corps lieutenant colonel who served for 29 years as both an officer and an enlisted Marine. And he has been involved with nonprofit work since he was in middle school in San Francisco. So has a lot of experience both with the military nonprofits, but I asked him to come here today because he has a lot of very interesting thoughts about leadership and the lessons learned having been in the Marines. So welcome, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. This is so cool. And it's great to see you. It's great to see you too. So Bill, tell us a little bit about yourself and your career. I mean, I've referenced it in the intro, but uh, obviously you're able to flesh that out a lot more. Sure, no problem. So I currently live in San Diego. I run operations for a FedEx ground sort facility. As you mentioned, I am a retired Marine with uh, just under 29 years of service. I did 24 years active duty. So I went in as uh, when I was 19 years old, uh, originally from San Francisco, like you, and involved in Summerbridge, and which was awesome. And that's how I, I know you. And we have a, a great group of friends that, that I'm able to see every now and then, which is really cool. We had the great reunion recently. I went to Arizona State, took a few years off to join the Marine Corps Reserves as an enlisted Marine. And then I went to Desert Storm, came back, realized that I wanted to become a, a Marine Corps officer. And so I, I wanted to fly. That was always my dream was to fly. And I actually got that dream realized in that when I went through OCS after they said that I could get a, what's called an aviation contract, which means I'm guaranteed to go to flight school. Went to flight school in Pensacola, and I was a good pilot. I was actually a pretty good pilot. And I got the chance to choose to either fly helicopters or jets. Now, here's the reason why I'm talking about this, because this is actually what was one of the, the defining points of my life. And so I had, when I was growing up, I had pictures and models of helicopters, loved helicopters. I mean, it was, people knew I wanted to fly helicopters. And so when I got the chance to fly helicopters, and they said, do you want to fly jets or helicopters? I obviously chose jets <laughs> because it was i was thinking that you'll never get a chance to fly jets again and so i flew jets was the worst mistake of my life oh my gosh i was a terrible jet pilot it was too fast didn't have anyone else in the cockpit to help me out oh i was awful and so i actually dropped out of being a jet pilot i flew f-18s for a while and so it's not like in top gun where you know i was just gonna say top gun i was like (laughs) are you like maverick did you feel the need for speed i had a call sign so and it's uh, so what's your call sign I was uh, Johnny, so I was, my last name was Roten, but a lot of folks pronounce it Rotten, so I was Johnny Rotten. That's uh, funny. Yeah, so I had actually a pretty cool call sign. Some folks don't have cool call signs. But I decided not to fly anymore. I had scared myself a few times and turned in my wings. It wasn't like in, like in Top Gun where the guy puts it on his desk and I'm no longer there. But because I had already become an officer, they said, well, you get a choice to do something else. And I chose to be a logistics officer. Had no idea what logistics was, but I did that. 
And so I became a logistics officer. And 24 years later, I guess I'd done okay doing that. While as a logistics officer, I was stationed at kind of bases bases around the world, spent some time in the U.S. at a couple bases here, Japan, Germany, Italy, deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan for a total of four years. And it was a fast career. I, I, I retired in 2015. And when I look back, I'm like, holy cow, that went really, really fast. Mm-hmm. And you know, so it was just cool. And one of the, the neatest things that I did was when I was working in Germany, I worked for the commander of U.S. Africa Command, who was this big four-star general, high, you know, way big high on the, uh, on the totem pole. And I was his speechwriter. Mm-hmm. And it Really, really cool because I actually got to write speeches for congressional testimony, for presentations at schools like Harvard and Yale and things like that. And so it was really cool. And I, I look back, I, I know I'm going to give a plug for, for Breakthrough and Summerbridge, but you know, those are the types of things that, that I learned to write because, and, and it really came out of being able to be a speechwriter. So it was really cool. So I have kids. I have adult kids, a son who lives here in San Diego, married, and uh, I have a daughter who is a senior at the University of Oregon. And when I'm not working, I coach high school lacrosse. Wonderful. So I have so many questions, but you know, when I hear Marines, I just think super hardcore. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering, when you joined the Armed Forces at the age of 19, what did you learn about leadership? I mean, I'm sure that's such a huge question, but like, what was the, again, I'm a civilian, so I have no idea, but <laughs> that's okay. it seems to me that there's like a breaking down process and then a building back up process. And I just want you to talk a little bit about that breaking down and building back up. Absolutely. So the Marine Corps, and unfortunately, I can't speak for the other services, but I'm guessing that they're fairly similar. The Marine Corps is all leadership. It's all leadership all the time. And so I've gone to both the enlisted boot camp and the officer candidate school. And then there's also another school after you get your commission that's called the basic school where they actually take you for six months and teach you to be an officer. And it's really cool. But both of those, both of those schools or, or events and, and training times, from day one, they teach you to be a leader. One of the things, the first things you hear is if there are two Marines standing together, one of them's in charge. And that's always resonated with me that, okay, someone is in charge. There's, there's accountability at all times. There's responsibility at all times from someone. You may not be ready for it, but it's, it's definitely for you. And so the breaking down piece is, so boot camp itself is very rigorous, but what they want to do is they want to, I use the term indoctrinate it very deliberately here in the, what I'll call the warrior ethos of the Marine Corps, where you are going to be put in the position uh, to lead Marines, most likely in combat, and decisions that you make are very, very important. And they want to make sure that you are a strong leader regardless of who you are. So the breaking down process is get rid of all those things you knew, we're going to teach you how to be a leader. And so some of those things that they taught and the two things that every if there's Marines out there listening, they are gonna they're gonna chuckle because I'm gonna mention a couple of things that they're gonna remember back from from boot camp or OCS. The first are, are these Marine Corps leadership principles. So there's the principles are, what are those things you do to be a good officer? And there's gosh, I think 13 of them. Know yourself and seek self improvement. 
be technically and tactically proficient, set the example, know your Marines and look out for their welfare. So it's, these are the things that, that you need to do to be a good leader. It doesn't mean that you're, that you're in charge of hundreds or thousands of Marines. This is just if you're, in, if you're a leader. And then the other piece is what we call the Marine Corps leadership traits. Now, these are those, those inherent traits that you should have in order to be a leader. So the first one is those actions, and the, and the second one is the traits. And what's, uh, what's funny is we military folks use a ton of acronyms. And, and for, for these, we use the, the term JJ did tie buckle. J-J-D-I-D-T-I-E-B-U-C-K-L-E. And what those all stand for, and I'm going to run through them real quick, but they'll kind of resonate and you'll think, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. So it's uh, dependability. I'm not going to actually go in the JJ type buckle format, but I'll go in a different one. Dependability, bearing, courage, decisiveness, endurance, enthusiasm, initiative, integrity, judgment, justice, knowledge, tact, unselfishness, and loyalty. The way we use these is in every action that you use or every action that you do, are you displaying these traits? If the answer is yes, you are being a good leader. And so that, that's something that we use all the time as a Marine. And now, yeah, when I'm outside the, in the real world, that's the same thing. You know, am I setting the example? Am I being dependable? And am I being loyal? These are those things that obviously we, we would love in a follower, but as a leader, we have to have these. One thing that I think about a lot is, you know, in my career and certainly in my role as a manager and leader, where I have seen the most growth in folks is when they're put in a situation where they don't exactly know what to do, that the challenge is a little bit bigger than what they feel comfortable with. And that Mm -hmm. sort of growing edge is, I think, where people can really learn and shine. And so my question to you is, as a Marine in the Marine training, what is that right balance between giving people opportunities to really stretch, but also providing enough structure so that they don't go down in flames. Yeah, understood. Yeah, it's, it's one of the neat things is the structure of the Marine Corps allows us to to make mistakes. Here's what I mean by that: is there are leaders at every level, and so and it's obviously the hierarchical structure by its very nature just means many levels, and each level has leaders. So there's never just one leader in charge of a thousand Marines. It's never it's not like that. So say say the top leader of a battalion level, which usually can have like about two thousand people. If that leader struggles, there are leaders at the lower level that are there to basically take take charge and and make sure everything's okay. Now, I will say that. You, and you, you hit the, the nail on the head. One of the things we, we try to do is we challenge our Marines and we challenge, we challenge ourselves and even our, our civilians that work with us is we challenge them to make mistakes. You know, get to the point where that you make a mistake, you learn from it, because if you're comfortable, you'll not be able to make a decision when you're high stressed. And what we find is you're high stressed a lot. And if you're in that situation, in that mindset where, okay, I have 15 seconds to make a decision. It may not be the right decision, but I have to make a decision. Then that's how we train you to do it is go. What, do you, what you're going to hear a lot of times during training we have is what now, Lieutenant? So everything's going to pot. And the question is, yes, everyone's turning to the leader. And the question is, what now, Lieutenant? What are you going to do? And you have to make a decision. You have to be able to do something. It may be the wrong decision. It doesn't matter. But you have to make that decision and you have to make it now. And it has to be confident. So one thing that I hear a lot of with leaders is that they often feel like they have a hard time 
making their staff feel the same level of accountability and responsibility that they themselves feel. Mm-hmm. And I think part of it is that we have leaders who tend to take on too much and don't share enough of the responsibility and the leadership. So I'm wondering, can you talk a little bit about what are some very tactical things that leaders can think about as far as empowering their people, their staff, the people who are under them to feel that same level of ownership and accountability? Sure, absolutely. One of the things that that we embrace all the time is delegation. So you can, obviously the the top leader is accountable for everything, but you can delegate things down to your subordinate leaders so that one, they feel empowered, but two, they actually have decisions and their decisions might be better than yours. And so that's a, that's a neat thing. What you're going to find in, in the military, and this is in all milita- U.S. military, is everything's based on threes. So uh, as I meant, I'd mentioned earlier, there's a battalion, which is uh, about 1,000, 2,000 Marines. Underneath that battalion commander, there are three companies. And under each company, there's three platoons. Under each platoon, there's three squads. And so, as I mentioned, at each one of those levels of the hierarchy, there are leaders. And so by empowering those leaders to be in charge of those folks that they are in charge of, and we get all the way down to what we call the fire team, which is a young 17, 18-year-old Marine who's in charge of three other 17, 18-year-old Marines. And that person's in charge. So by making them leaders, forcing them to be leaders, or at least forcing them to be responsible and accountable, it gives them empowerment. I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the whole collaborative, you know, one leader's in charge of everything. I got you. you it's the way people think now. Some people may think the military is stodgy and, and isn't agile. I completely disagree because by allowing our leaders to, and our subordinate leaders to think and do without telling them how to do it, that's how we go. Bill, you make such an interesting point because I, I feel like a lot of people think that they're delegating, but they're actually just what I'd like to call task rabbiting. They give people mm-hmm. a series of tasks and you know to-do lists, but that's not the same as delegating. So talk to me a little bit about what does effective delegation look like and mean? Absolutely. So I'm going to, I, I'd mentioned prior to the prior to us meeting, a small essay called Message to Garcia. And this is an essay written, oh gosh, 1899, I think it was. And it was a, an essay, uh, but Mr. Hubbard, I can't remember his first name. And it's an essay that every Marine reads. And all it, it's, it's called Message to Garcia. The, summer, the, the Cliff Notes version is the President of the United States wants to get a message to an insurgent general during the Spanish-American War. And there's a gentleman named Rowan, and they say, hey, Rowan, you get this message to Garcia. And he said, got it, and left. And the message got to him. It's obviously, I'm sure it's far more complicated than this, but it helped find this General Garcia, and U.S. was successful. How this ties into, into delegation is just tell your folks what you need them to do, not how to do it. And I don't mean a task, but tell them the end state. An easy one is... I need a great way to say is with children. If I have all these bicycles in a pile and there's one kid in charge and I say, I need these bicycles moved from here over there and they all need to be in color order. And that kid will do it. And really kids are great about that. They're like, okay, I'll do it because I'll do it myself. 
And that's an effective leader because now what I've done is I've, I've empowered that kid who's my leader to go do those types of things. And now I can focus on everything else. Now, the thing that I think we lack in some respects is the, that trust. It's like, I trust that person's going to do it. You got to have that. You have to, it, you have to build that trust, even if they don't do it the way you want it. You know, and so if, if you notice from my example there, all I said was take these bikes, move them there and put them in color order. I didn't say red, then green, then blue. I just said in color order. And that person, that kid or you know, whoever that leader is will make that decision how they want. As long as it works, it's good. And so what I've done is I've now delegated that task to them, but I've given them ownership of how it's done. And that's really the, the key to this. Give them an end state and give them a purpose. Why do I want it done? I mean, now, especially with younger folks now, you have to tell them why. Just be honest about it and tell you what the end state is and you're good. We call it task purpose and end state when we do our military orders. And that's exa- we've been doing this for hundreds of years uh, the exact way. So at the risk of sounding like an old fuddy-duddy person, <laughs> I, what I have observed about younger folks is it feels like, and I don't want a millennial bash, but I, I find myself maybe millennial bashing, but I, I think that there is a sense of, a lack of a sense of discipline and a lack of a sense of respect for having paid their dues, right? I, mm-hmm. I know that there are many cases in which young people, and again, I don't know, maybe I'm just old school, but like, <laughs> I think there is something about proving yourself and working your way up from the bottom. And I'm just wondering, like, do you agree with that? Does that square with things that you've observed in civilian life? And if so, like, how can we, what, what can we do about it as leaders? Sure. Well, I think sometimes millennials are are misunderstood and all lumped into a bucket that's not quite fitting. What I mean by that is, if you look at the military now, the military is full of millennials and mm-hmm. they're doing great things and they're using the same tactics and they're using the same processes that that we did, you know, when I did back in the in the eighties. So the changes aren't that different. So, but what I find is that millennials and uh, and even Gen Xers are, they want to know why. Mm-hmm. Why am I doing something? Now, it may, a lot of people, you know, folks my age, and, and they may feel, well, don't ask me why, just do it. And there's this feeling that in, you know, that in the military, people thought, you know, blind obedience to orders, never ask why, just, just do it. But that's not, it's never been that way, and it's, it's not quite true. We always give a purpose for doing something. And really, if you, if you give the younger generation something to do, give them purpose, and give them a task that actually has meaning to them, things will work out okay. And the tough part right now is actually trying to find what has meaning to a, a certain group of people. But if you... Broaching in terms of it's going to help the organization, I think a lot of times people come out and feel, yes, this it's important to me also. So the way that you're talking about developing leaders and developing Marines is a very structured and kind of, it seems like, well-defined process. Mm-hmm. And I think the challenge with nonprofits is that we're often understaffed. You know, if you're a leader, you're just basically trying to keep your head above water, you're fundraising, you're doing this, you're doing that. And it's not like you have a whole lot of mental or emotional space to think about like the structured leadership paths of all of your all of your employees. So I'm just wondering, do you have any tips for us about 
how the overextended nonprofit leader can start to implement some simple things to help build the leadership skills of their staff. Absolutely. So the first thing I will tell you is leadership is free. And what I mean by that is it doesn't cost it doesn't cost you anything in resources. It doesn't cost you anything in time. Leadership is free. And I'll use a great example that I think was a, a pretty good leadership moment for me that involves you. We were chatting at a reunion and you had mentioned about your your situation with your previous job and we just chatted and I and we talked and I said you know, maybe it's time for you to think about you. And in some ways, I look at it now and I'm thinking, wow, Rhea is knocking it out of the park because she's, she's doing what she wants to do for her. And I'm hoping that I had you know, some influence on that. You did. <laughs> Thank you. That's what you can do. I mean, so you don't have to have these, you don't have to go to a seminar. You don't have to have a leadership book that everyone needs to read two chapters. What you can do is just sit with someone and a leadership thing that worked for you, pass that on to somebody. If you want to call it coaching, call it coaching. That That's mm-hmm. fine. It's really just passing on you know, something that worked for you. And heck, it may not have. I may, you know, what I may have done, you know, when I talked to you, it may have been the worst thing that could happen. You're like, oh my gosh, I got fired and now yeah, I can't do anything. But no, it, it worked out well because those types of things people have told me, I've been coached that way. I had leaders talk to me like that. And, and so that's the easiest way to do it is just take some time, sit down, chat, have a, have a beer, and then just you know, pass on those, those life lessons. So as somebody who's been in logistics, I'm curious about how would you define leadership versus management? Ah, okay. So right off the bat, people are led, processes are managed. All right. So you, you hear about people management. There's no such thing. If you, if you use the term people management, you have now reduced people to processes. And that's why people don't feel engaged. That's why people feel like they are automatons. That, you, know, you don't have that people first attitude. No, people are led in processes. And what's nice is logistics, it's all process. Uh, yeah, so I do embarkation or distribution, supply, all those things are processes, but I have people that do those. I can't manage them. You know, the processes are managed, but I lead them. I get my folks to want to do the things they want to do, now, even if they don't. If, if there are situations where someone doesn't want to carry out a process, okay, time for me to lead them. Well, how do I lead them? And really, there are multiple ways, and it all depends on your personality. I'm a big guilt guy. Yeah, I want to make sure, yeah, I want people to feel guilty if they disappoint me. I've got, I have friends that were, that were yellers and I I had coaches that were yellers and there was some fear. I've never been that way, but both of them work. There are some folks that just, I don't want to let that person down or this person that feels like a mother to me. Yeah. So all these things, but you know, find your own personality and your own leadership style and use that to your advantage. So can you be a good leader without good processes and good management? I think you can. But I don't think you're going to be effective in the term. When we use leadership now, so I, a great way to think about this is there are leaders that sit back and don't actually do anything but coach people. They, they don't tell you how, they, they tell you how to feel. Now, whether that makes you feel better, good, but it doesn't teach you how to do something better. But if, if when we're talking about leadership in business and nonprofits, we're actually talking about leading people 
and making sure stuff gets done. Yeah, so it's the stuff that gets done and you can't get stuff done if you don't have processes and you don't manage those processes. So yes, the true answer to that is yes, I think you can lead without managing, but if you want to get things done, which is what we do, you have to have both. Bill, as somebody who is an expert in logistics and it's interesting, I have my own experience as a founding executive director and I have a lot of clients who are founders. I I think the classic paradigm in nonprofit is overled, undermanaged. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, do you have any simple, quick, tactical tips that you could offer folks to think about ways to improve processes and managing processes? Because I, I just think, again, in the nonprofit world, we're like heavy on inspiration, heavy on vision, heavy on passion <laughs> for the work, not mm-hmm. so great about like, here's a standard operating procedure for how we process X, Y, or Z. Mm-hmm. Then that's what's missing. And so we're at, this is a bit of both me being a logistician and an aviator. Uh, checklists, checklists. You have to have controls. If you don't have controls, you're just winging it. And a great example is when you start a plane, whatever plane it is. And I may have flown this plane every day of my life for 30 years and know it backwards and forwards. I break out a checklist and I go through that checklist every time because I don't want to miss anything. It's the same thing for managing for managing processes. If you don't create a checklist that that jives with you, that's the biggest thing. You know, as a leader, you create that checklist that says, "I want it to be done like this. I want these steps. I want to make sure these these functions are taken care of," and have your people accountable to that. Then you're good. If it, if you now I, I know this may sound a little bit different than what I said earlier. It's like just let your people do stuff. For the processes, though, you have to have some way of knowing that what you need done will get done the way you want it. The leadership, from a leadership perspective, though, go ahead and delegate those tasks that may not have to be done in a in a regimented order. Or you know, say you're doing planning. Planning is a great example. You know, planning doesn't necessarily have to be done in a particular order. It just needs to be done. Those are the types of things you can give a, hey, th- I need you to plan this, get it to me by this day, and these are your left and right lateral limits, uh, uh, go forth and do good things. But if I have a logistics you know, task that says I need to move 20 FedEx trucks from point A to point B by this date, and they all have to have this number of home delivery packages, I actually ha- I have to use a, a checklist, and I have to have controls. And so that SOP that you'd mentioned, uh, you got to have it. It's a pain creating it, but once you create one, you're mm-hmm. going to find it works. it'll work wonders for you because everyone is on the same page. So let's talk a little bit about inevitable instance in which somebody is not performing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, is it is it a leadership issue? Is it a management issue? And at what point is it the responsibility of the person, right? Because like, I'm sure you've also had situations where it's like, listen, you've put in the supports, you've made clear what the outcomes are, and it, this is just someone who's not sort of living up to what you need them to do. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Okay, so this may f- sound uncaring, <laughs> but there are some folks that just don't want to do what needs to be done. And sometimes, and I got to try to save them, help them up, help them as, as much as you can. But at some point, you just got to let them go. And that's, you have to find what that point is for you. Because for some people, they'll hold on forever. They will hold yeah. on to their, what I'll call toxic people forever. And just hoping they can change them, they can save them. It's, the, it's for the good of the company, good of the person. And then there are those people that will 
fire at an instant. Oh, you looked at me wrong. You're fired. Mm. I, I think for a strong leader is to find what that is for you. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean, so the, you, you may read a book that says, oh, well, don't do it until this, this point, this point. You have to find what it is for you because you're the person that's leading them. So to actually get them to do those things, I think I'm an optimist. Okay, so I'm an optimist. I believe most people want to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And as you go through life, and I'm sure you've seen this, you can start to pick out those folks that don't want to do that. And your intuition starts to get good. And then those folks that don't want to do it, you may have to become what I'll call heavy handed. You may have to, instead of giving them options to do things, you may have to be very directive. You will pick this, you will do this at this time. This is how you're going to do it. And if that works, okay, that works. If it continues to be detrimental to your organization, sometimes those folks got to go. And mm-hmm. don't be afraid to do that. I think, we, I think we're at, at a point in society where we want to, to save everyone. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you just got to let them go for the good of the organization. Yeah. Yeah. I think both of us have come from uh, the Lois Lefbro school of hard knocks. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Lois is tougher than any Marine commander you've ever Oh my gosh, yes. In fact, I will I will honestly say that Lois is probably the reason I joined the Marine Corps. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, she has that, that Marine Corps about her. Last question for you. Can you share with us any hard lessons learned for you, which is to say any mistakes, anything that you wish you had done differently and what you've learned from that? You know, I had a pretty good run. I mean, I look back and I, I enjoyed myself and I did good stuff. I, you, when I obviously, when I mentioned uh, the point where I failed to be an aviator, I thought that was the end of my career. Thought that was the end of my dreams. And uh, you know, I realized that okay, it was probably the best thing that could have happened. You know, I, I look back and I don't really regret anything. I wish I had reached out to people more. You know, mm-hmm. so, so obviously, we Marines have this tendency to, to want to put on that, that tough face and, hey, I don't need help. And I've gotten in some, some tough binds because of pride. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, that a lot of leaders do that because they're, they think that they are leaders and that they can't make a mistake, that they can't be seen as vulnerable. And I disagree with that. You, well, I think one of the best things you can do is ask your people. If you, if you, are, you don't know something just ask your folks, ask you to mm-hmm. one of the, one of your, heck, go down to the bottom level. Hey, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And, and what you're going to find is most of those people have great ideas. They've been thinking about these things for, for quite, a, quite a while, and they'll give you ideas that you'll end up using. And it may be completely like, holy cow, I didn't, I didn't expect that. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go that way. Or you know, it, it may not be helpful, and then, but it may give you some insight into something else. So, to answer your question, I don't. I wish I had asked people more. I mm-hmm. now that I've not I, because I hadn't done that before. I now realize that, and I do it a lot now. I, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll walk around my my facility in FedEx, and I'll just chat with people, like, "Hey, what do you think we could do here?" And I'm talking with our, my package handlers, and mm-hmm. they're the very one. The nice thing is, hey, the boss is down here talking to us, which is cool. And the second one is, I'm learning from them, and because they have a different perspective, most of these most of these are, and I use the term kids, are young. They've got a different attitude. They've got a different mindset and I think it's wonderful. Yeah. And I will say that I think that leaders get too much credit for leadership and it's your people that create this create the organizations. Leaders are just folks that provide guidance and make sure people don't stick forks in light sockets. 
that's good. That's good. You know, it, I have to say, I'm, I'm surprised. I didn't think that this conversation would result in something that I'm really thinking about a lot too, which is managing one's own ego and mm-hmm. being vulnerable in a leadership position. And so I guess I, I have my own stereotypes about the Marines, but I do think that, you know, when I think about the greatest mistakes that I've made in my career and as a leader have been those moments of wanting to be the hero or right. wanting to have all the answers or saving the day, which inevitably always backfires and also is exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And that's, and that's the biggest thing is why make it exhausting? How about create some leaders below you and they take the, they take the work off your plate. Your job should be easy. When yeah. you're up top, your job should be easy. I mean, I remember you were you were chatting with oh gosh, I can't remember the the gentleman's name in, in a previous podcast, and you had mentioned that I don't know if it was some high, some big name leader had you're impressed that he had made three oh Jeff Bezos uh, yeah, yeah head of made, Amazon three yeah. high quality decisions a day I was like what okay. that's amazing. Here's the deal, though, with that. So what? I mean, why, why do you got to make three decisions? Why? I mean, you're making decisions all day. They can be small. It doesn't matter. They're, they all accumulate. And, you know, so the, yeah. the, I got good on Jeff Bezos, but I discount the, you know, I've made three quality decisions. Well, heck, you're making, you make quality decisions all day as a yeah. leader. And I think that that's important. Yeah, well, I, but I think his point was, and I think this is well taken, is that if, if you're doing your job right, the level of decisions that are coming up to you are not like these micro decisions because you've empowered people underneath you to make those right decisions. The decisions Mm -hmm. you need to make are at the right altitude of where you are. Absolutely. And that's, that's one of the reasons why you want to have those leaders at the lower levels. And what's nice is when you get those micro decisions, it's easy to say, you may, have you asked so-and-so yet? And, and like, no, I haven't. You may want to ask them what they think about that. Yeah. And I think to go back all the way around, I think it really goes to trust. Like when you've developed trust in your people and trust in their judgment and their decision-making, you don't need to micromanage. You don't don't need to second guess. You don't need to like tell them about like, I want the bicycles in this order. Uh You just trust that they have made good decisions based on sound judgment. That's correct. And if you, if you, train them and educate them and lead them in your image, they will make the decisions that you would make. And that's an important thing. But also maybe, you know, different decisions and like, that's okay too. Cause I, I, you know, sometimes, especially in nonprofits where it feels like you're on such a razor's edge, we make decisions and we do things based in fear, not based in courage. Mm -hmm. Right. Agreed if I do this, like this might be the end of the nonprofit. And like, it rarely is. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I think we, yes. we have a real sort of self sense of self-importance about like, if I make this wrong, just like this one wrong decision is going to be everything down the tubes. And like, okay, let's like, finish our ego <laughs> a little bit. it's usually never that intense. So. Correct. Well, anyway, Bill, this has been so fun. I really appreciate your time and absolutely for sharing your knowledge. And I'd love to have you back at some later point. I'd love to talk about all of the other things we haven't had time to talk about. No worries. I, yeah, I'd love to. Great. Thanks so much, Bill. Thanks, Ria. We'll talk to you later. Bye.